Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. But they're all coming together to work together. That's an important part of ministry too is that anybody here that's in ministry, you learn that you're going to work with different people. Any group, I mean, a ministry is, a, is made up of people and it's rare that a group of people that are all the same get put together. So there are going to be some outgoing people, some quiet people, some strict people, some some wild, crazy people, some ex-drug addict people, some scholarly people. And God's going to put us all together and say, now work for me. That's what he does. That's what the church is like. When Jesus chose his disciples, it's almost like he went out of his way to choose people that would be in natural conflict with one another. He chose tax collectors and zealots. The glory of the body of Christ is found in its unity and diversity. Every person who calls on the name of Jesus is a brother or sister to you, and that means some that you would naturally oppose. But God takes the incredible beauty of diversity and creates from it one body, one church. Pastor Bill is going to unwrap that beauty today. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 3, as he begins his message, Teamwork. All right, so... Nehemiah chapter three, um, little little bit of a recap. Um, if, if we go back to chapter one, we saw Nehemiah had a burden. He heard about what was going on in Jerusalem, how the walls were broken down. This it was, the city was in burnt. It was burnt down. It was in rubble. It was in disrepair. And his heart was burdened um, to the point that he fasted and he prayed and he wept. And uh, his job was that he was the the king's cup bearer. Um, and so the king saw him looking sad, which was not what you wanted to do. Uh, you could actually be killed for being sad in the king's presence because these pagan kings were so arrogant. They believed that in their presence, whatever woes you had, if you were blessed to be in their presence, they ought to all be gone. And so nobody can look sad in the presence of the king. However, we see that Nehemiah had favor with the king. The king thought well of him, uh, asked him what was going on. Uh, he shared a little bit. He didn't share. He didn't tell him it was in Jerusalem. He just said his hometown, the where his fathers are from, was torn down and uh, he was upset. And the king asked him a question and said, what do you want me to do for you? And with that blank check, Nehemiah immediately prayed, asked the Lord. And then he, he began to speak to the king and he asked very wisely. He asked for permission to go rebuild for provisions of the materials needed for the building for protection as he was going to be going through enemy territory uh, and everything that he asked for was granted him and he recognized that it was God's favor upon his life. And so we looked at, uh, you know, his kind of the answer to all the prayers. We also saw that as soon as Nehemiah got his, his feet pointed in the direction to go do a work from God, what happened? Enemies showed up, right? And it said they were greatly disturbed that someone was seeking the well-being of Jerusalem. That, I mean, they were, they were, the enemy had always been there, but they were, they were cool as long as no work was happening. But as soon as Nehemiah, it wasn't when his heart was stirred to do the work. It wasn't when he planned to do the work. It wasn't when he got permission to do, it was when he went. It says, as soon as it says, and they went, that then the enemy showed up right away. And so you can know that as you plan to do a work, enemy's not worried. As you pray about doing the work, enemy's not worse. You talk to your friends about doing the work, enemy's not concerned. But when you get foot to floor to go do the work, the enemy is going to be right there 
uh, to get with you. And so that's not a discouragement. Um, warfare is many times for the believer an indicator that we're on to something. So warfare shouldn't discourage you. It shouldn't dishearten you. It shouldn't make you fall back. It should cause you to step in, press in further uh, because we're already victorious in Jesus. Amen. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So so we pick up in chapter three and I titled the chapter tonight teamwork because though Nehemiah had the burden, had the vision, was the one that prayed and kind of got direction and provision and permission to get going. He's not able to do this work by himself. And that's how it is in the kingdom. Right. No one person is going to do it all. Um, God may call a man. God may raise up a person. But God does his work through the greater body of people. And so in this chapter, we're going to see that God cares about those that do the work. He lists them by name. Um, so they're marked. These people and their families names are in scripture for all eternity because they were willing to go and do the work. And those who weren't willing to do the work are also listed. For all eternity. Um, think about that. That there could be people that they had the same opportunity. There could be some people here that decided, nah, we don't want to do it. And God's like, I'm going to write that down. Everybody's going to know what y'all did, what y'all didn't do when you had an opportunity to do it. So let's start at chapter three, verse one. Let me say this right up front. There's a lot of names in this chapter. These are not common names. I am going to butcher the names. Don't you worry about it. Whatever I said it was, it is. We're going to keep it moving. <laughs> If it's really important to you, you can go home and play it somewhere. Just put it on a player. But I'm going to do best I can. I just want to say that up front. So I don't want y'all looking like, what? He, that's not what this is. It's not going to be what it says every time. I'm going to sound it out best I can using grammar as I can. All right. Having said that, chapter three, verse one. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests, and built the sheep gate. And they consecrated it. And hung its doors, they built as far as the tower of the hundred and consecrated it then as far as the tower of Hanel. So, so to get the thing going, we have the high priest and I want you to note that he's kind of a big deal. In Jewish culture, the high priest is, he would have been very respected, a very revered. He's an important component. So it's important that he's the guy that says, I'm the first one putting hand to plow. I'm the first one putting my hand to the work. And as he led out, the rest of the priests with him put their hands to do the work. And so if you're a note taker, you can write down Matthew 23, verses 11 and 12, which says, But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. So in the kingdom of God, those that are great are those that are the servants, right? In the world... Those that have servants are great. But in the kingdom of God, the greatness is shown in service. And so we want to be careful. Sometimes people have spent too much time in the world and they bring that mindset into Christian work. Um, and y'all know that in Christian work as believers, no one is above any job here. Amen. Uh, everybody here can do if you can do it, you should do it. If you have the opportunity, you should. Uh, my prayer is that myself and those that are leading with me, that we would exemplify that. Um, that, you know, we don't, I don't have people carry my stuff for me. I don't, I don't have, uh, I, I hate that, you know, some of y'all came from traditional church. You got the armor bear. The pastor is the, the, he's like the king and everybody else serves him. And it's really a backwards picture. You know, the pastor should be the servant of all, right? He should be 
exemplifying to everybody else what it is to serve. Leadership in the church should exemplify what it is to be servants that that we don't make much of men, but we make much of the Lord. And so it's a great example here that the high priest is stepping out um, to put his hand to the work. They're building the sheep gate. Through Nehemiah, there's 12 gates. Uh, in this chapter, they mentioned 10 of them. There's 12 in total. Um, if we were to take the chapter as they go through all the gates, it's counterclockwise that they're going. They'll make their way from where we begin right here at the sheep gate. They're going to make their way all the way back around to when we get to verse 32, we'll be back at the sheep gate. Um, and so this is what's important there because remember the walls are torn down and there's no defenses. So they're starting by building the gates. We're going to see that they're building at their own homes. Um, they're rebuilding the area because if there's no walls, you have no defense. Somebody can just walk in and take what you got. So they're starting with that. We're building back up some walls and some defenses. Walls and gates are meant for two things. They keep some things out and they also secure things in. Um, as they're going to prepare a place for worship in a temple, there's items of gold and, and so forth and so on. So they need some kind of way to keep what they got. Um, you know, for those of us that grew up out here, um, I'm always shocked. I would hear of places in the world where people would say, oh, we just we could sleep with our door open or our doors unlocked. I've never lived there. You know, I've never I've never lived somewhere where it would be cool to, you know, just I'm going to just leave my front door wide open for the night. Um, I don't know if anybody here ever lived somewhere. Like, I hear of places like that. I tend to believe if I live there, I still would lock mine top and bottom and bars and everything else. So. That's just, you know, because I'm from where I'm from. So they're building up these gates, um, you know, the sheep gate. This is where the shepherds would bring in their flocks to sell. Um, and so that was the first gate. They consecrated it. That meant they set it apart for the Lord. This work that they're doing is unto the Lord, is for the Lord. And so they built and then they would consecrate. We set this apart for you, Lord. This is for you. Um, and so that's what they're doing here. They hung the doors. Um, they built the tower and everything else. So it's also important to note that, you know, because Nehemiah prayed, he had the foresight to get materials. Remember that? So they got materials to work with. Because what if he showed up here and he got the team together and they were like, well, man, we don't have nothing. So, woo, you know, what do we do? But that's where prayer becomes so important. Because he prayed, I believe he knew what to ask for. And now that it's time for work, they have everything that they need. Everybody can just get to work. And so the work is beginning. The walls are going up. The gates are being built. Um, and so we have, again, uh, the high priest and the other priest jumping in to begin the work. Look at verse two now. It says, next to Eliashib, the men of Jericho built. Next to them, Zakur, the son of Emery built. Also, the sons of Hassaneah built the fish gate. Um, the fish gate, this was um, this was near their fish market where people would come in and out from fishing. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. And once again, they had all these materials because Nehemiah prayed and had the forethought to get these materials that they would need for the building. It says in verse four, and next to them, um, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Cause, made repairs. And so some of them are building, some of them are repairing things. Uh, that had been torn down or broken. Um, it says next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Mehezekabel, made repairs. Next to them, Zadok, the son of Baana, made repairs. And so, you know, we have these different groups of people and it just, it, it's naming them. And I want to point out why is God doing that? Why is, 
each family, the, the people from here, this guy, his son, the people from Jericho, the men from Jericho did this. God is saying, look, I'm identifying those that came to get busy with me, those that put their hands to the work. And this is why God is identifying them, because not everybody did. So he said, I'm identifying those who do. This is what we should remember when we do a work for the Lord, because sometimes we may put our hand to the work of the Lord. And I think sometimes I've seen believers get discouraged or feel like, you know, they're not being effective or nobody knows. Some people are really sensitive. And if they don't get a thank you or a pat on the back, they feel some kind of way. Um, we got to be careful of how we serve, right? All Christian service is done as unto the Lord. Here's the cool thing about when we serve as unto the Lord. He don't miss anything, right? Every time you serve, God's like, I saw that. I didn't miss anything. I, I'm all knowing. I'm all seeing. I mean, if you serve me in prayer in your bed, nobody else knows, but God knows. Uh, if you serve in being benevolent in secret and nobody knows that you gave it, God says, I know, I know exactly what you gave. Um, you know, whatever it is that you do as unto the Lord, know that God sees it, he knows it, and he's He's the one that rewards us when it's all said and done. Colossians 3.23, do whatever you do, do it heartily. Uh, that means with all your heart as unto the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. And so whatever you do, do it all your heart and do it as unto the Lord. That will protect you from feeling like, you know, oh, I didn't get thanked for that or nobody saw it or it didn't. As long as you served and God saw it and he liked it, um, you want to let that be enough. You want to do it for an audience of one. Amen. Uh, when I was doing youth ministry, you know, we had a number of kids that were learning how to do worship. And I had this one kid that he wanted to do worship really bad. And I mean, when I'm telling you the kid worked at it and worked at it and worked at it, and he would come for the, the Sunday night was the small service. And it was where we would let someone kind of try him out. Let him, let him have an opportunity without being in front of too many people at one time. And I remember the first time he did worship and it was horrendous. Like it was really, really bad. Once he tried to add playing and singing, it was like, it was choppy. It didn't go well. But the kid, he's a heart of gold. He, I mean, the kid loved the Lord. He loved God. His heart was right. It just, it wasn't there yet, you know? And so, um, and we had really, you know, people around that were able to be helpful to him. Um, we didn't want to discourage him, but we challenged him, you know? So, well, you know, these things, in order for it to not be a distraction to the people you're trying to lead, you got to figure out how to get these two things to go. And he just kept working on, he would be there after service working on it. He would be there, you know, and, and they were kids, you know, how high school kids are, so they ain't all saved and they ain't all nice. Um, and so, you know, kids would say stuff and I remember asking them, I said, man, just, how does that, how do you feel? How do you handle that? You know, I mean, I, I heard, you know, kids say stuff, whatever. And I never forget what he said is this, this came out of the mouth of a kid. He said, I play for an audience of one and I mean it when I worship, I mean it when I sing it. So, um, for him, it was like, so I don't care what anybody says, what I'm saying, when I sing it, I mean it. And I know God receives it. And I can tell you that as the months went by, the Lord added to the heart, the gift. What wasn't there in natural talent was groomed in dedication and discipline to where he became very, very good at leading worship and very, you know, he became, he became someone very useful. And the thing you can't teach, you can take someone that's super talented, but you can't teach a heart. Um, the heart was where it needed to be. And so I've always loved, I, I loved using him as an example. He was the best person to give someone that had a heart, but not gifted yet, you know, um, give them to him. He'd understand. He'd be gracious. Um, but he would help them. So 
Um, we want to have that same heart. God, I serve just for you, audience of one. Now look at verse five. It says, next to them, the Tekoites made repairs. And then we got a but, first but. Um, that's always where, you know, we, so far everybody's jamming, everybody's working together side by side. This person, that person, this family, that family, the Tekoites are there serving, but, but their nobles did not put their shoulders to the work of their Lord. And it literally means that they wouldn't submit to do the work. They're nobles. Now, it doesn't tell us why. It might be in that they were the nobles. You know, we don't do that. And I, so I would really challenge us that there would never be a job that you feel like that you're above that. And if you do feel that way, that you would really check that out with the Lord. God, that, that there would be nothing. I, I think anything that we get to do for God, we should see it as a privilege. If I get to unclog a toilet for God, that's my privilege to unclog a toilet for God. If I get to sweep a floor, dust a room, vacuum, whatever it is, if I get to do it for the Lord, I got to count it as a privilege and a blessing that God who saved me would now let me serve him. Um, and there can be no job too low, too dirty, too foul. Uh, there just isn't there. And we have to have it in our minds that there's no such thing. These nobles are listed and this this list of, you know, it's, I think it's about 38 different names listed here. We got these nobles are listed as those who didn't put their hand to the work, wouldn't submit to do, would not do their part. We're going to see later on that some people finish their work and double back to go do a new job. And this is what happens when, you know, in a body, when you have people that won't do their part, you have some people that are doing double duty. So you got somebody that's doing three jobs because somebody's sitting around not doing no jobs. These guys won't do anything. And so. You know, and that's shame on them. They lost out, right? They didn't get to be a part of what God did. They just observed from the from the sidelines. And somebody else got the blessing of doing one job, coming back and then doing another one. They had their hands in multiple things for the Lord. And so um, I would challenge us, charge us that we be so careful not to be like the nobles, not to be above anything or not to feel like something is beneath you. Um you know, that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gifted to do this. You know, I'm called to do that. I, I love when I was at Calvary Chapel Downey and I was, you know, I was there. I didn't, you know, I didn't realize they had a, a they were, they were kind of observing me. Um, as they were, you know, I was getting involved more and more. I had no idea how it really worked there. I was, it's a huge church. I just was there, but I kept having little opportunities here and there. And my first kind of long-term ministry thing there was when I was in Bible college. They had a lunchroom there. There's a school and they there was an announcement that the women were hurting their backs, you know, unloading the boxes and filling up the machines. And so we need a man back there. And the hours fit perfectly between uh, it was right before Bible college would start. Bible college started at one o'clock. So I would work from 8 a.m. till 1230 and then I get lunch and I go to Bible college. And so they hired me. My first day at that job, I got there to the lunchroom. It was after a Christmas break. And they have all these, they got a wall of freezers and refrigerators. Uh, well, the electricity had gone out in this room. So everything in the freezer and the fridge had rotted while they were on break. So my first job, my first day was to empty it out. They were like, you got to empty it out, clean it, disinfect it, get the stank up out of here. Then go with us to Smart and Final and Costco to restock everything so that we're ready for school. Uh, the next day. And that was, I mean, it was a, it was a day of service. I remember doing it. And when I came back the second day, the ladies were like, we were, we were bet, we were, they were betting whether I would be back the second day or not, you know? 
Um, and as I look back on that, that was my privilege, right? So much came out of like, God put me in that job, which was not, I wasn't the job I was going to do forever. But if I could tell you what came out of that job, I'm in a school back in the high school. So I, you all know, I like kids and I'm back there with all the high school kids. And so I'm interacting with the kids and then I get to go do chapel. They're like, Hey, you should come do a chapel. And I got to go preach at chapel. Then I got to go on a mission trip with the high school kids. When I came back from the mission trip, the high school pastor said, man, you should come and serve in the high school ministry. And I was like, no, nah, I'm not called. I was convinced then I was supposed to come plant a church in Inglewood. This is 2000. And they were like, but, you know, I prayed about it and God made it clear that I was going to be there longer than I had planned. Um, and so I ended up being in the high school ministry for almost 11 years. But I look back and I'm like, wow, all that came out of working in the lunchroom, filling up Coke machines, stacking boxes, slanging lunch and Doritos and chips to high school kids when they come through the window um, eating fresh baked cookies all day too. That was a, uh, there were some perks to being in the lunchroom, but you know, that was that season. And I look back on it. It was a great season of my walk with the Lord. All those ladies are like moms to me. Uh, they were like, you know, if you had a bunch of moms that were just like, they were in my corner. Anytime I was going to preach, they would all show up like, like your mom would show up and they're like, yeah, you go, you know, um, it was an awesome season of my life. You know, it was just service though. It was an opportunity to serve God in a unique way. Um, and so I think we should relish the opportunities we get to be of service to the Lord, not be like these nobles who were so good. Listen, here, check this out. They were so good and thought so much of themselves that they were useless to the Lord. Think about that. Some people think so much of themselves that not even God can use them. They're not even useful to the Lord. May we never think that much of ourselves. Amen. And so now look at verse. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I want to give you this. Write this down in your notes. Write down Matthew 20. 25 to 28. But Jesus called them and said to himself, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so Jesus is our great example of a servant. And we we want to emulate what we learned through his life. Amen. So moving on, look at verse six now. Moreover, Jehoiada, the son of Paseah, and Meshulam, the son of Besodiah, repaired the old gate, laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. Next to them, Melatiah, the Gibeonite, Jaden, the Maranathite, the men of Gibeon and Mizpah repaired the residence of the governor of the region behind the river. And so, again, I want you to note that there's these are different people all working together. We got people from different places, different backgrounds, but they're all coming together to work together. That's an important part of ministry, too, is that anybody here that's in ministry, you learn that you're going to work with different people. Any group, I mean, a ministry is a, is made up of people and it's rare that a group of people that are all the same get put together. So there are going to be some outgoing people, some quiet people, some strict people, some, some wild, crazy people, some ex-drug addict people, some scholarly people. And God's going to put us all together and say, now work for me. That's what he does. That's what the church is like. And so we got to be good with that, right? We don't want to, this is what can happen. You can have a group come together and I like people like me only. 
That's not healthy for church life because I need to get good at receiving and working with and loving people, uh, particularly those that aren't like me, those that don't do it like I do it. And so that takes work. Thank you for joining us here today on A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. Pastor Bill is making his way through the fascinating book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah's purpose was to make sure the walls and gates of Jerusalem were built, a project that required considerable resources. But in this book, we see that resources are never a problem for God. When Nehemiah talked to the king, he not only gave him permission to go build the wall, but he sent him loaded down with all the resources he would need to finish the work. If God can do that with a pagan king, imagine what he can do with your willing heart. A Transforming Word is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood, and we have a question for you. Would you like to be a part of what God is doing through this great ministry? Do you want to be a part of God's Word going out into the world? One way you can do that is through praying for us. We need all the prayer we can get, but we'd also like to offer you the opportunity to partner with us financially. Here's what you need to do. Head over to CalvaryInglewood.org to give online or download our mobile app to give that way. Once again, that website is CalvaryInglewood.org and you'll find a link to our mobile app right there as well. While you're there, check out the other resources we have to offer you, like archive messages or you can follow along with our daily Bible reading plan. And with that, it's time to say goodbye for now. We'll see you here again next time with more from Nehemiah on A Transforming Word.